Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Workplace Revolution with me, Sihle Bolani. Money doesn't grow on trees. Money makes the world go round. Mo money, mo problems. These are just some of the phrases we've all grown up hearing. And for many of us, we're passing on these same phrases to our children and grandchildren. But do we really understand money? Do we understand how to manage it and help it grow? even during turbulent times. Joining me for today's conversation is Tiffany, the Budget Nista Aliche, an award-winning teacher of financial education, and she is quickly becoming America's favorite personal financial educator. The Budget Nista is also a number one, Amazon number one best-selling author of The One Week Budget and the Live Richer Challenge series. Through her company, The Budget Nista, Tiffany has created a financial movement that has helped over 1 million women worldwide collectively save more than $150 million and pay off over $100 million in debt, purchase homes, and transform the way they think about their finances. These women that participate in this global movement call themselves dream catchers. Tiffany credits her experience as a preschool teacher for 10 years in Newark, New Jersey, for defining her purpose behind the Budget Nista, and that is education. In 2019, Tiffany transformed her commitment into legislation when she partnered with Assemblywoman Angela V. McKnight to write a bill that was later signed into law, the Budget Nista Law. This law made it mandatory for financial education to be integrated into all middle schools in New Jersey. To further her mission, Tiffany has created and teaches numerous financial classes, both online and in person. Her signature course is her annual Live Richer Challenge, with over 900,000 women participating in one or more of her challenges. She also blogs about personal finance for the Huffington Post and the Budget Nista blog, co-hosts an award-winning podcast called Brown Ambition, and has an online school, the Live Richer Academy, that teaches women how to create, implement, and automate their own financial education path. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation. Thank you, Sita. Now, oh my gosh, my mind is blown just reading the stuff that you're doing. And I know as with all profiles, this is merely scraping the surface. Won't you please just talk us through your background? How did you move from being a teacher to a financial educator that is creating such change as far as financial management and education is concerned? So I was a preschool teacher for 10 years mm. here in the U.S. And um, there was a 2008-2009 recession. Yes. Um, that is when the economy takes a really bad turn mm. for six months or more. Mm. As a result, millions of people lost their jobs, and I was one of them. Mm. My school received money. Um, it was a nonprofit school, so it would get money from big organizations and corporations. And honestly, they didn't have the funds anymore to give to the school. So the school closed. And when that happened, I wasn't sure what to do. Mm. But I was fortunate that I grew up in a household where my father and mother talked about money all the time. Mm. My father was a chief financial officer of a small nonprofit Mm. and an accountant and my mom a nurse. And so I'm one of five girls. And 
we just talked about money. So I'm Nigerian, um, Igbo, and so Igbos are known for <laughs> money. But my dad would tease and say that um, in Nigeria, they call Igbos Kobo Kobo. So Kobo is the name of our, like, traditional money. Mm. Um, <laughs> so he said, you know, so it was like, so when people, other Nigerians find out that, uh, you know, I'm the budgetista and then I'm Igbo, they're like, oh, That yeah, makes sense. Right? <laughs> this is your purpose. <laughs> yes. So what happened after the session, even though I lost my job and lost everything, I was still somehow managing. And so my friends would ask me to show them, how are you managing? Mm. And so I started to show my friends and then those friends would tell their friends and then they would ask me, how are you managing? And I would show them. And before I knew it, there were all of these people asking me on a regular basis. Mm. And it just, you know, I, and then a friend said, you should make this a business because so many people are asking you and so I started with just doing like one-on-ones and because I was a teacher and I have my master's in education I started working with organizations to write curriculum financial literacy curriculum for them and teaching it mm. and then it started to grow and social media this is just around the time 2010 2011 when social media started to grow mm. um to the next level and so I started to use social media as a way to advertise for free that I was teaching financial education and so it really started to take off mm-hmm. sounds amazing so how how did you you know there's so many different forms of financial education you know I come from back in my day there was Susie Orman who was this <laughs> financial phenomenon i mean i so many there's even um, a bank here a large bank that would have her coming over and doing talks about you know financial related information and you know she'd host these master classes but i don't think there's really been a a black woman in particular who has really been in the space and taken up space um, within the financial education, um, uh, you know, uh, arena as much as you have. I mean, I came across your work um, through social media and I was absolutely fascinated by the work that you're doing and the passion that you have for it, but also just amazing to see a black woman being in the space and doing this work and absolutely thriving in it. So how did you firstly decide to call yourself the budget nista? <laughs> <laughs> and and how did you carve out this niche for yourself in such an an articulate and impactful way? So it so many of the things that I did were accidental. So, you know, me helping my friends, it was just I'm just helping my friends and mm-hmm. then they brought their other friends and I said, oh, okay, I'll help you too. And so it just, that grew just naturally. Um, but the really taking it to the next level. So once I realized I did want to turn this into a business and I started, Facebook really was like, there was Twitter, but people weren't using it as much. Facebook was still like the number one social media platform. Mm. So I was using Facebook to show whenever I taught a, a class or I would post like a tip of the day on Facebook, a financial tip of the day. And um, what started to happen is, like I said, people started to gravitate to what I was doing. And I used to tell myself, I'm speaking to everyone, everyone, everyone. And then Facebook came out with the business page. Mm. And for the first time, I was able to see through their analytics, which were a free tool, Mm. who was actually listening, Mm. who was liking, commenting, Facebook will show you. 
And it showed me very clearly, it was like 99% women. Mm. And I was like, oh, so you're talking to everyone, but only women are listening. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I and mean, then yeah. you can click through the pictures and I saw the faces of these women and many, most of them were black women. Mm. So I realized, okay, in business, you know, it's not who much so much who you're speaking to, it's who's listening. Mm. And so I had to change my message because I was like, well, I need to be speaking to who's already listening. Right. And so that's when... I pivoted to really speak to black women. Mm. Um, and I don't turn anyone away, mm. you know, but what I've committed to is to saying black women often come third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or don't even come at all when it mm. comes to consideration in mm. all things, mm. right? So when brands create things, they're not thinking of black women. Mm. They are the default buyer. Oh, they're going to buy anyway. And yeah. I was like, no, when it comes to the budget Nista, I'm committed that black women come first. Mm. Everyone else is a default. Mm. So we don't turn anyone away because we have all types of women. We even have some men that listen and take my free classes and take buy books and things like that and I'm grateful for that mm. but know that my intention is to serve black women first and foremost absolutely um so once I started to do that that's really when the brand started to take on take a life on of its own because black women share with other black women mm. here's a safe space to learn from someone who looks and sounds like us mm. absolutely and so um and then around that time that's when Facebook groups started and so I started a Facebook group to really create a safe space and um, we gave ourselves a name. So like Beyonce has the beehive. Yeah. And so the budgetista has the dream catchers. Mm. And we gave ourselves a name. It was just a few thousand then. And then the classes that I was doing in person, women who lived in different parts of the country started saying, I want to take those classes. Mm. So I said, okay, I'll put these classes online. And I called them my literature challenges and I made them free mm. because I knew so many women needed access. Right. So women were taking them and I can remember see that I, I remember the first time that I got an email that was like wait because you, you would take the challenge you would sign up and I would ask questions like you know you know what what um, state do you live in in the United States like you know how old do you I wanted to get a, a, a real sense of who I was teaching and it was clear women between the ages 25 and 45 most of the women are in the 30 to 35 range and and I remember a woman um, emailed me and said, Hey, I live in Kenya. I don't, I don't see where I could pick a country. And mm. I'm like, I don't understand. It had not dawned to me that women in different parts of the world might find me mm. and want access. Mm. I said, you live in Kenya. How, how did you find me? She mm. said, well, my sister lives in the States. And she told me that the literature challenge was so helpful and I want to sign up. And so I added countries and another one, I live in Korea, I live in the Ukraine, I live in, I couldn't believe it, it just blew my mind. Mm. Um, and so now we have women from over a hundred different countries that participate in our dream catchers. Um, and we have over a million women worldwide. So it's just been amazing, amazing, this journey. And it really, it's just, it started through this act of service, wanting to be of service to women mm. to help them with financial education and then mm. women bringing other women along for the ride um, and me just trying my best to take care of them in the way that I want myself and my sisters to be taken care of. And so mm. that's really the literature challenges are really what propelled my my business to the next level. Mm. And so, you know, making financial education accessible um, and understandable really requires 
an understanding of what the barriers people face are when it comes to financial management, debt management, um, and being able to understand the tools that are available to build wealth. Um, from the work that you have done and the conversations that you ha- you've had with your dream catchers, what are some of the hurdles um, that are common amongst um, most of the people that you interact with when it comes to financial management or debt? People really struggle, at least in the United States, with credit mm. because the United States is really a credit-based system. Mm. So what that means is that in the U.S., it's like, so in Nigeria, you build a build a house and I'm not sure if this is how it is in South Africa, but in Nigeria, you build a house, you have the money, you build a house, you have more money, you do more. Mm. The first, the second floor might not be done for five years, you know? Yeah. And so here in the States, that's not so that you leverage your money here. Mm. And what that means is that you can have $10,000 and get access to a hundred thousand dollars. You put $10,000 down on a house as a down payment, and they will give your house worth a hundred, 200, $300,000. So because of that, people might be making, say, $50,000 a year, but be living at 60, 70 because they use their credit cards in, in order to live. Right. And so credit is a real issue here in the United States. So I see people struggle with that. Here, too, in the United States, people have issue with their student loans. Mm. Where, mm. like in, like I said, in Nigeria, you pay your school fees. There's not a loan. You pay either you pay your fees and you can continue or you, you, can't, you can't continue until you pay your fees here you take out a loan for school, but Mm -hmm. the loans have become so astronomical. It has become laughable about you being able to pay them back. How do you owe a hundred, 200, $300,000? And how do you pay that back? And you, maybe your job is paying you 50 or $60,000 a year. Mm -hmm. So student loans is also a a huge struggle. Um, So I try to first instill the financial basics and the foundation, which is budgeting, savings, basic debt management. And then from there, we grow to the more complicated financial issues. But when people ask for help, it's typically with credit and their student loan debt. Mm. Yeah, student loans are quite a difficult thing, even here, um, because, you know, for so many, particularly black people, you know, black communities, having access to to funds or, you know, having money to be able to pay for your children's education, um, whether it's in, you know, high school or university, it's very difficult because, you know, we come from a system where black people were always underpaid. Black people did not have access to formal um, employment. And so they weren't able to build up an education fund for their kids. Um, and so kids would finish high school when you need to go to university. For the most part, you need to apply for a student loan. So automatically, when you start working, you've got this <laughs> huge yes. debt that's waiting for you. You're and already in a hole you already you start. Absolutely. And then you are going into the workplace with this debt, but also going into it and learning that you are so severely underpaid um you're barely making ends meet if at all um but then you've got this debt sitting on you and it can become quite um overwhelming um and a lot of people do feel quite uh desperate and then it leads to people then acquiring even more debt you know so if the banks are turning you down to get a loan to be able to kind of stretch out your money a bit or for a short period of time people then turn to you know, the less formal uh, sources of, of, of uh, funds, you know, loan sharks and whatnot. 
Um, so what are some of the things that people do need to consider when they're on a situation where, for instance, they do have a student loan that they need to deal with um, and they've got a job that doesn't necessarily give them much breathing space in terms of what they earn? So the key is with all things is moderation. So we have to learn to live within our means. Mm. And so what that means is if you're making 10, that's not living at 10, it's living at seven, max eight. Mm. So living within our means means you have to live within, you know, what, you know, what, what you make and there has to be access for savings and investing and, and, and putting toward debt if need be. Mm. And so I think it has to start there. So and people will say like, oh, I can't, but I, I always say this, like, so if I'm, I'm 40 now and I make now more than I did when I was 35, mm. you know, so there's an African proverb, my father would say, you cut your coat according to your size. Mm. So what happens is as you make more people inflate their lifestyle yes. to fit that lifestyle to right. fit their their income. So you're cutting your coat according to your size. So every time you make a little bit of money, you're cutting your coat differently to fit to where you are now. Mm. I'm not even sure that's the right way to use it, but that's how I'm using it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that's, that's, that's the, the first foundational issue that are you living within your means, meaning under what you make, mm. you know? And then I like, there's a, a, a couple of ways to pay down debt. I like the, avalanche, I like the uh, snowball method which is to pay down the debt with the lowest balance first because you're going to give immediate um, or faster gratification for paying down that debt. Mm. So paying down the lowest debt first, and then when you pay that debt, putting all that money that you used to put toward that lowest debt toward the second lowest debt, and you do that on and on and on. Mm. And when it makes sense to pay down some debt that has the highest interest rate. So you might have a debt that's say $100 and that's your lowest debt, but you have a debt that's $200 and the interest rate is five times as much. So I would likely then pay off the high interest rate debt first. That's called the avalanche method. Mm. So when you have one, you're living below your means, two, you've, you've chosen a debt pay down mm. plan. And then three, you kind of have to start to set it. Automation really is a new discipline. Mm. So setting that up, setting up, you get paid your money, this is how much money I'm going to set aside for bills. This is how much money I'm going to set aside for savings and investing. And this is how much money I'm going to set aside for debt and allowing the debt to pay itself mm. automatically. I don't believe in in making debt your primary goal, making debt for your primary goal. Mm. I believe growing wealth should be your primary goal. And here's why. Because debt-free does not equal wealth. Right. So I always give the example that my nephew, Roman, who is four... Roman is debt-free. He doesn't have a mortgage. He doesn't have student loans. He doesn't have a car note. Roman is debt-free, but Roman is broke because mm. he's four. Mm. All these toddlers that you know around here, they're debt-free, but they're also broke. Yeah. So if debt-freedom equal wealth, then these all these children would be wealthy, right? Yeah. Because it doesn't because debt-free without context doesn't mean anything. Mm. I want you to work making wealth the primary goal and making debt the secondary goal. Because if you work toward growing wealth, you can put some of that wealth toward your debt freedom. So you get both. You get to be wealthy and debt-free. If you only work on debt freedom, that's all you get. Mm. And so that's the third thing. You know, once you 
create your budget, live within your means, create a pay down debt plan. Then I want you to put the rest of your energy into learning how to grow wealth Mm. so you can take care of that debt. Mm. And what do we mean when we say build wealth? Um, Because I know for a lot of people, when we talk about wealth, you know, there's a lot of conversations around wanting to build generational wealth, (laughs) you know, wanting to have something to pass on to future generations once you pass away. But practically, what are we speaking about when we talk about building wealth? What are some of the vehicles that are available, the financial vehicles that are available for people to do that? So when you are going to grow wealth, some of the, you have to also ask yourself what kind of investor you're wanting to be. Are you going to be this active investor or are you going to be a passive investor? So active means that you're wanting to like turn the knobs, transfer, do all those things. Many people are, not too many people are really active investors. Most people are either passive or someplace in between. So identify what kind of investor you are. So that you have to ask yourself, um, your time, do you have the time to be a, uh, an active investor? Your temperament, mm. are you somebody who gets easily um, afraid when something happens, mm. you know? And your ability, you know, do you even know how to do that? Mm. So you likely fall in the passive slash in the in between. Right. That's one. Then you ask yourself, okay, what, what platform do I want to use? Do I want to work with a financial advisor that's super hand-holding? Do I want to work, do I want to use like one of these robo accounts? So that's like um, uh, one of these accounts where you kind of like set it and forget it. You put your money in and just automatically sets your money for you. Mm-hmm. Or do I want to do a DYI account? Mm-hmm. So that's an account like um, like an E-Trade where you go in and it's not a person, but you, you manipulate your money yourself via this account that you have online. Mm-hmm. So those are the three levels, right? So once you choose, you might say to yourself, you know what? I do want to go in and trade and, and, and I want to use a brokerage account. Great. Or you know what? I want to do robo advising where I'm just setting it, put my money in, let it do what it's going to do. Mm. You know, or I actually want to sit with somebody and go over. So if you are going to choose a financial advisor, know that it kind of doesn't make sense because to choose a financial advisor, unless you really have up to $250,000 of investable assets. So mm. That means not my net worth is two hundred fifty, but I have two hundred fifty thousand dollars of invest of assets to invest. Because then it's the financial advisor is the most expensive of the three, mm. and so it won't make sense for your money if you are paying a financial advisor. So mm. most people are going to fall in the brokerage or or robo advising. Mm. So then once you figure out that, then you're going to figure okay. Um, how, where do I want to put my money? Am I going to do stocks? Mm-hmm. Which if you're an active investor, you're likely going to want to do that. Do I want to do mutual funds, um, which are um, a basket of stocks? So instead of just one stock, it's like a whole bunch of stocks in a basket. Or do I want to do an ETF? Mm-hmm. That's like a, a mutual fund. If a mutual fund and the stock had a baby, it'd be an ETF. It is a basket of stocks that you can trade mm-hmm. like on the market. So you might be someone who's like, oh, I'm someplace in the middle. I want to do... ETF, or if you want to do stocks, then you're, you're going to have to do your due diligence and research. Or if you just want to superset it and forget it, mutual funds. So once you decide that, so let's pretend that I'm passive. I'm a passive investor. Great. I want to do robo advising because honestly, I don't have time to mm. figure it out. And I want to do mutual funds because I want to set it and forget it. Okay. So now when you're looking at mutual funds or ETFs, I'm looking at index funds. So an index fund is a fund that mirrors a particular market. So there's the S&P 500, Dow Jones, NASDAQ, there are these markets. 
most people, when they think of index funds, they think of the S&P 500. I would start there as a new investor. Mm. So what that would look like if you were using mutual funds is you could say every paycheck, I'm putting $50, $100 or whatever into the S&P 500, the S&P 500 uh, mutual fund. Mm. Or I'm going to actively, so with the, with the um, ETF, you can't set it and forget it, but you can certainly go in and buy it every pay period, you go in and buy shares of the S&P 500 ETF. Hmm. So you can purchase that every single month. And so if you do that, you are doing better than the majority of most people because your money is gonna follow the market. Hmm. When the market goes down, 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 your money will go down. But when the market goes up, 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 your money will go up. Over the last hundred years, the stock market on average has yielded, this S&P 500 has yielded about 10% a year. That means some years it might have yielded 40% and some years negative 30%. Mm. But on average, you're looking at about a, a 10% return. If you're going to be really conservative, I would say really expect about 7 to 8% return. Mm. That means that's great. Most banks, big banks give you less than a 0.01% return, less mm. than a 1% return for most banks. So your money is going to grow on average about 7 to 8%. So if you do that, but so you see like it's deciding what kind of investor you are, what vehicle do you want to use? Where do you want to put your money? Those three things. And then you can chart a path for yourself. You can say, I want to use a brokerage account. I want to buy ETFs and I'm going to use index funds. Great. I'm going to put my money in every month. So I suggest instead of trying to what they call timing the market. Mm. And so when you time the market, that means you try to guess when the market's going to go up and down. Nobody knows for sure. Some people are a little better at it than others, but it's better to practice what's called dollar cost averaging. And that's when you put your money in the same time every month. Maybe it's like every the first and the 15th or just the 30th of the month. You put your money in regularly. And some months you catch when the market is up and some months you catch when the market is down. But overall, you get the average return mm -hmm. because you are like you're that's why it's called dollar cost averaging, because you're going to catch the market up, down, and in between, and average out mm. to the average return, which is about 7 to 10%. Mm. So that's what I suggest for people. So if you do that, then that's a great way to start investing, and you will you will be 10 times ahead of everyone else. Mm. And now let's talk about credit ratings. Um, and this is, I know, something that a lot of people might not even think about or consider until they actually find themselves in a situation where their credit rating has been affected because of their financial patterns. What, for those people who might not necessarily be, um, you know, knowledgeable on this particular topic, um, what, how do you explain credit ratings and what role do they play in your ability to you know, uh, navigate um, your finances and your access to credit when you do need it? So when it comes to your credit rating, it depending on what country you live in, mm -hmm. um, some places credit is critically important, like in the U.S. Mm. It's almost more important in some ways than how much money you have in the bank. Mm -hmm. Not quite, but almost, because you can leverage your credit more than you can leverage your actual money, which is so strange to me. Mm. But... You know, if well, I tell people to focus, there are different types of credit scores, but here in the US, I tell people to focus on their FICO score because if you have a good FICO score, you likely have good scores across the board. Mm. FICO score ranges from 300 to 850, 300 being the worst, 850 being the best. Mm. 
the best way to maintain a good credit score is to pay your bills on time and to pay off your debt. If you do those two things, it's going to you're going to see your credit score go up. And here's why it's important to have a decent credit score. At least here, like I said, in the U.S., yeah. um, things like a job. There are some jobs that are going to check your credit score. And if it's not up, if it's not up to par, you could actually be let go. You could be denied a raise or you could just not get that job at all. Mm. Also, when you're looking to purchase things like a home or a car or even a cell phone, they will look at your credit. Your credit is an indicator of how likely you are to pay. And so if your credit is poor and you purchase a home, they are going to give you a higher interest rate because you are not likely to pay. So that higher interest rate means that that bank is getting more money from you up front mm. in the advent that one day you don't have it to pay. Mm. So they're like, well, at least we got most of our money up front. If your credit is excellent in 750 or above, um, in the FICO score model, mm. that means you are very likely to pay. So the bank is not worried about getting their money up front. They're like, oh, S Tiffany is going to um, give us their money so we can give her a low cr interest rate, mm. meaning like the, 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 the fee for borrowing money from them because we know we're going to get our money from her. Mm. And so that's why your credit rating is so important because it's going to affect how much your life is going to cost you. Mm. And it can also affect your livelihood and whether or not you're able to get a job. Hmm. That's very, very important. Um, now, we have, obviously this year has kind of thrown everybody for a loop um, dealing with the coronavirus pandemic and all of the various impacts that it's had on, you know, uh, people's employment, on how businesses are performing, um, whether or not they're able to retain all of their staff or whether people need to be let go. There's a lot of uncertainty around job security, which then means there's uncertainty around uh, financial security. How can people, um, you know, still be able to maintain a healthy financial uh, management habits um, during uncertain times? Sometimes you have to acknowledge that this is the worst case scenario mm -hmm. and you just do the best you can to maintain your health and safety. Mm -hmm. There were moments when I didn't have enough money to pay my bills, so I didn't. Mm -hmm. What I paid for was food and a place, a safe place to stay. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. You know, like I am not going to worry about my, my cell phone bill, my credit card bill, the, all these other things when I don't have enough money to secure the safety of my physical being mm. and food to eat. Mm. That is paramount. If you find yourself in a position where you don't have money for the rest of the other bills, then sometimes you have to just say, I don't have it. Mm. And you will get to them when you are in a better position. First and foremost, always remember your health and your safety first. Mm. If you're deciding what should I purchase, what should I get, ask yourself, does this help to support my safety? Does mm. this help to support my health? And sometimes you don't even have enough mo money. You might have to choose between health or safety. Right. And that's when you might, depending on where you live, you might have to ask for additional assistance. Sometimes there's food pantries. Sometimes there are places that where you can stay. You know, maybe it's family members. So reaching out and asking for help. And know that because this is a global pandemic, so many companies are providing uh, leniency as a result because they know it's not like 
this is a you issue. Mm. This is a whole worldwide issue. So don't be afraid also to ask companies for help and say, hey, as a result of this pandemic, as a result of quarantine, as a result of these times, I'm not able to do this. What can you do to help me? Mm. Many, 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 many companies are offering some sort of assistance because like that, that person that you're talking to on the phone is also going through that mm. because we're all living through this at the same time. So asking for help too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think um, one of the biggest hurdles that we face um, is, you know, having the courage to ask for help, because I think, you know, there's so many different um, challenges that we may face that we're afraid of speaking about because you either don't want to be judged or you feel ashamed about it or you're embarrassed about it, you know, um, just as, you know, people who struggle with mental illness, um, you know, also have a hard time sharing that they're struggling with this. Dealing with, you know, financial struggles is another thing that people are often too afraid to speak about because they feel like, they're failed. They feel like, you know, it's it's humiliating for them. And I think it's so important what you're saying around being able to ask for help, because I think it, it, it you know, that's that's really where it starts. And I think what's so amazing about the work that you're doing is that it really, you know, starts to contribute towards um, taking away the stigma of you know, financial struggle and replacing it with education, which is empowering and helps us all get a better understanding of of our finances and where we could have gone wrong and how we can, you know, do things better. Yeah. I mean, you have to learn, honestly, to forgive yourself Mm. and to allow some grace because you... I mean, we didn't come, you know, into this world knowing how to manage our finances. And sometimes the rules change and that's okay. Mm. The, 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 the key is that you are trying to be better, mm. not perfect. Mm. And so as long as you're working toward better, then that's more than okay. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone spends too much sometimes. Everyone makes choices and decisions that might not be in alignment you know, with where they are. And so then you tell yourself, okay, well, what can I do to be better? Mm. That is really the key that the more knowledge that you can learn, the more, the more you open yourself to new ideas and new ways of doing things and remain open to, um, to different solutions. That's all you can do. And and better is, is, is the aim, not Mm. perfection and Mm. remembering that and forgiving yourself for not being, you know, this financial guru. Mm, absolutely. Um, now, let's chat a bit about the Live Richer Challenge. What is it about and how does it work and how can people get involved in that? So the Live Richer Challenges are, right now, there's five free courses. Mm. And um, they are, right now, I have the Fundamentals, the Savings Edition, Credit Edition, Net Worth Edition, and Home Buying Edition. And they're totally free. They're they're my give back to the community. Mm. You don't have to be a black woman Mm. to take them. As I mentioned, I don't turn anyone away, but they are my priority. But you can go to liverichardchallenge.com. It's an email course. So you sign up and then the next day you will get your first task for the next about three weeks Mm. where I'll give you a small, I'll give you a lesson and a task that's going to bring you one step closer to your financial goals. So if you do the savings edition, all the tasks are linked to improving your savings. Mm-hmm. 
homeowners edition, all the tasks are linked to purchasing a home. Mm. And so, yeah, the, they can just go to liverichardchallenge.com and, and get assistance. Okay, perfect. And what would your key tips be for people who are seeking financial freedom or you know financial prosperity what are the things that or the maybe two or three tips that you would share with them or that you live by that they may be able to try it for themselves as well so first is three things so it's it's the things are knowledge access and community this is how you shift where you are to where you want to be mm. so knowledge you have to seek out new ways of doing things you know mm-hmm. that someone someone out there figured out this problem if there are other wealthy people mm-hmm. if there are people who look like you that have something that you'd like that means that there's a solution out there like my dad would ask me when i was a kid if um i brought home like say a b mm-hmm. on a test he would say well because my my Igbo name is adochi adochi did anybody get an a and i would say well yes that does Sarah have two heads? So meaning that what makes Sarah so right. special that she could get an A? You've got to love African parents. Yes, it's never enough, right? I remember one time I got like, like if you get a 96, ah, where are the other, other four points, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh. Or like, um, you know, I maybe I'm telling my sister like, oh, you know, I, I got an A minus. Ah, you're happy about it. A minus. Look at this one. Right, <laughs> and so what I've learned is knowledge. Knowledge is one of the keys to unlock the door. That mm-hmm. is critical. Second, access. Access comes through people. You have to network to different levels. So, whenever you're leveling up from one level to the next, I can almost guarantee you it was through a person. It was maybe your mentor, your mom, your pastor, your sister, your friend. And so the more people that you can kind of, and sometimes you can have access to people that you've never met. Mm. Like I remember, so Will Smith is one of my online mentors. So I watch a lot of his videos. Although he's a Hollywood actor, he has a lot of great knowledge. And I watch a lot of his videos to try to access that. Mm. And um, so I've never met him, but through him, I have access to a different level and a different way of thinking Mm. so access is critically important because there are some doors that can only be opened on the inside someone has to open the door for you to be let in Mm. and so that's second and then third community especially black people Mm. i remember the first time i went to nigeria i didn't know how a village worked so my last name my, my surname is aliche so they're like oh this is titus aliche i was like oh my goodness titus my last name is aliche okay this is Chioma Aliche. Oh, Chioma, my last name's Aliche. Because here in America, Aliche is just my, my four sisters, my mom, my dad, and like I've got one aunt, one uncle, you know, mm-hmm. so not too many. So we're Aliche, Aliche. My father was like, everybody hears Aliche. And I was like, wait, I don't understand. He said, the whole village is Aliche. That's how Africans live. The whole village is your aunts and your uncles and your grandma and your grandpa. And I was like, wow. He said, this is how we don't intermarry. So this village, two villages down, that was your mother's village, Ugaro. And so what happens is you find somebody you want to marry, then they tell the history of your people. So that way you could trace back and say, okay, there's no inter, there's no, you know, knowing that you're not marrying your second cousin, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I was just like, wow. And so community is such a critical component for success because through community, we looked after my great, great grandmother, my great grandmother who was there. She was 103 years old. Does she have to work? Of course not. 
Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to, yes, mom, what do you need? You know? Mm-hmm. And like community allows for my cousins who are three and four to be running through the village. Everyone is watching them. Right. You know? Community is the reason why my cousin, when I was walking, he was 10. The, 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 the women in the village, oh, you know, uh, cheated better. We heard that you came second in class. Next time we want to see first. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so community helps for you to have a place where there is encouragement there's accountability and there is um normalization of the process mm-hmm. because sometimes you think that you know oh i'm struggling i'm 23 i'm struggling i'm 30. and there are other people who are like oh i was once there and this is what i did right. so knowledge access and community are the three tools in your toolbox that you should use to shift where your finances are so you can be better not perfect but better amazing so for people who would love to connect with you, to follow your work, how can they find you online and where can they find you online? I am the Budget Nista. So T-H-E, the word budget, B-U-D-G-E-T, Nista, N-I-S-T-A. I am the Budget Nista on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, and also thebudgetnista.com. You can connect with me. Um, okay, and then just uh, again the live richer uh, web address. The oh the live richer challenge yes is live richer challenge dot com. Okay, perfect. Tiffany, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Um, I'm certainly going to sign up for the Live Richer Challenge, and because I mean we can never do enough work, right? It's continuous mm-hmm. improvement. No, thank you for having me. This is awesome. Perfect. Thank you. And thank you for joining us for another episode of the Workplace Revolution with me, Sihle Bolani. I look forward to seeing you again next time.